Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, the strong and powerful Lance Roberts. Lance, are you ready to do this? Let's do it. Excellent. Let's do this. (laughs) Lance has been in the investing world for over 25 years, and in that time has done most everything from investment banking to private banking and venture capital. He's the editor-in-chief of realinvestmentadvice.com, host of The Real Investment Show, as well as The Lance Roberts Show, and the chief investment strategist and economist at Clarity Financial. I'm excited to have you on, Lance. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really tired just from hearing all that stuff I do. Yeah. I'm like, how do you, I, it's difficult to fit all this stuff in, for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I never actually planned on getting into investing to start with. You know, when I graduated college, you know, my dad worked for Dow Chemical for like 30 years and he retired from Dow Chemical. And so I always thought I was going to go work for Coca-Cola and just kind of be mid-management guy at, at Coca-Cola and do my thing there. Um, but, you know, life had its own own plans. And I uh, was working for a bank after I graduated college. And this was when this little bank out of North Carolina called North Carolina National Bank, uh, which became nicknamed ultimately Nobody Cares National Bank because <laughs> they were just buying everybody up and rolling them up. Of course, they became Nations Bank, which became Bank of America. Anyway, oh. they bought my bank. I was managing money at that point uh, for the bank and, and um, I got laid off because, well, they closed the bank. And I wound up hooking up with some friends of mine overseas that I had known for a lot of years. They were bankers at, at Nat West Bank, Midland Bank, and Bank National Day period and stuff. So I went overseas and, you know, that's where life kind of changed. And we started managing money for high net worth individuals, doing a lot of real estate transactions. I've lived a bunch of years overseas in all the different countries. Nice. And the one thing that what I came to, to realize is, is that, and this is the, the, I tell you that story only to tell you where my perspective comes from for managing money, which is in the retail world, um, where you listen to retail advisors and, and retail managers that are selling you a product, it's about buy and hold. And, and in reality, people with money, high net worth individuals, don't buy and hold. They manage risk. They have one primary philosophy, which was best encapsulated by Warren Buffett, which is rule number one, don't lose money. Number two, refer to rule number one. <laughs> and so that is where our entire basis of managing money came from, was from this experience and this basis of working with high net worth individuals. People, I'm talking people with, with hundreds of millions of dollars that have one simple rule. Hey, make me some money, but don't lose it. And is their benchmark to beat an S&P 500 every year? No, it's not. What's their benchmark? To grow at the rate of inflation over time because they want their money to have the same purchasing power parity in the future. Now, if we can make more money in an up market, great. But the goal is, is not to lose money and to make sure it adjusts for inflation over time. That's it. And that's the whole philosophy that we brought back to managing money for our clients, our individuals, which was this differential from what a lot of investors are being told today on Wall Street. Yeah, I think that that, uh, that that certainly makes sense to me. And that was one thing I wanted to uh, to get your take on was how you've seen the industry really change from when you've started, because uh, obviously <laughs> it's changed so dramatically. It seems like it's changing so dramatically in, in five years, but let alone 20, 25 years. You know, it hasn't. And, and the, the change that's come, and it's interesting because I've been through the crash of 87, 99, 2007. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been been there, done that, right? And 
the only thing that's changed is the products that people are being sold. Mm. Uh, in 1987, it was portfolio insurance. 1999, everybody's told to buy dot-com stocks. So that was when Jim Cramer came out in 2000 with his top 10 stocks for the next decade. Right. Nine of 10 of those were bankrupt and gone in you know, the next <laughs> couple of years. And I'm not picking on Jim Cramer. It's just that was a famous list, right? And, and you know, that happened to a lot of people. In 2007, it was all about flipping houses. And here's the interesting thing today, which is it's all of that. Um, in, in the market that we have today, it's the home flipping shows are back on television. In 2007, I was sitting in the living room with my wife. She's a big Bravo HDTV <laughs> fan. Um, so I can tell you all, if you want to spend an hour talking about housewives, <laughs> that, we can certainly do that. Um, but in 2007, I said, this is going to end badly because this was every show on HDTV was how to flip a house, how to buy it, how to fix it up, how to flip it. And whenever you see those, and those shows are back. Uh, by the way, yeah, for sure. you know, you've got uh, desert flippers, you've got this flippers, that mm -hmm. flippers. Um, so that that back. And at the same time, we have this stock market being driven by stocks that have no fundamental value. Things like Bitcoin. Um, hey, sounds great in theory, but there's no fundamental underpinning for that. And so when you start to see the evolution of the markets, we went from singular type of investment strategies to now it's everything. And this whole idea of passive investing, robo-advisors, is really the, the advent of this decade-long greed-driven cycle of where there's really not been a tremendous amount of volatility. And you have to understand that since 2009, there are 13 million new financial advisors in the market. They've never seen a bear market. <laughs> and the guys that are driving companies like Wealthfront and Betterment have never been through a bear market. So they, there is a lack of understanding and, and remembrance of the risk. So, but. The market hasn't changed. The dynamics haven't changed. Other than the advent of high-frequency trading and a lot of algos driving the markets, the, the, the real driver of markets over time is money crowding, too much money crowding into too few places, and that has always ended badly. Got it. Yeah, we do uh, have a tendency to have short memories, certainly, but to your point, 13 million new financial advisors that have no memory at all is, is, is probably even more dangerous than that. So. Well, I, I, I appreciate you sharing the, the, the philosophy of rule number one, don't lose money, and rule number two, refer back to rule number one. Is, is that something that, and obviously we don't advocate for a blanket advice to everybody, but do you think right. that that's advice that maybe the general investing market who is in these robos who are just doing an S&P 500 should pay more attention to? Yeah, well, so here's here's the idea, and there's a there's a big flaw in in this idea of robo advising and and buy and hold. So let me clarify where buy and hold is correct. Buy and hold says that if I buy an S and P index fund, just get rid of everything else, just buy and hold it over time, dollar cost average into it, that you'll make money, and that is absolutely true given mm -hmm. enough time. Now, it, it's it, will it work over a five year period? Maybe not. Will it work over a ten year period? Maybe not. But on average, if you can do it for 30 years and have enough time, you're going to make money. Why? Because simply of the impact of inflation over time, prices are going to rise. The problem is, and this is the huge fallacy of it, and, and again, simple math will tell you this and, and running some basic analysis will tell you this. The premise is they say, well, you're making $70,000 a year. Okay, and that's your income, and you want to have that income at retirement. And so I want to have the same amount of income at retirement that I have today. And they go, well, great. If you put your money into an S&P index fund, you dollar cost average into it, 
that money will grow to $1.5 million in 30 years. And you put that on 4% and whammo, you're making your $70,000 a year. Here's the lie, or I shouldn't say it's a lie. Here's the fallacy of that. Nobody adjusts the income for mm. inflation. $70,000 today is not $70,000 in 30 years. It's $135,000. It's almost double right. using historical rates of inflation. So all of a sudden, it's not $1.5 million to fund your retirement. It's three or $4 million to fund your retirement. So why didn't the money grow? Because I spent too many years getting back to even. Yes, buying and holding an index is fine. But if I ride the markets down, I lose 30 or 40% of my money. I spend 10 years getting back to even. Those 10 years or 10 years or five years or seven years, pick a number. Those are years that I've lost growing and compounding my money. I can get my money back. What I can't get back is time. Unfortunately, unless you're a vampire, we all die. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, to my understanding, is the reality for sure. So, all right. So, if there are problems and flaws with just the buy and hold, buying into an index, if if we're running into problems again with flipping homes and speculating, what should the average investor be doing? Well, so I don't want to, so we're talking about big, broad macro issues here, right? right? So, you know, the problem is that timing is everything mm -hmm. and understanding that these cycles do end. So here we've been in a decade long bull market. Now, if you've been invested, and here's the, here's the ironic part of this, is if, if everybody quote invested in the markets like we're told, why is it that the average American doesn't have $500 in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the average 401k balance is like $26,000. So apparently there's a big differential between <laughs> what people are told they're supposed to be doing, what they're virtually actually really doing. Right. But that's a story for another day. We'll talk about that later. Um, but, but the issue is, is that the markets are clearly in a bullish trend right now. But you have to understand that the risk of excess credit leverage in the markets, we've got, that we've got more um, bonds, fixed income, corporate, lev corporate debt, that's now on the verge of, of moving into junk rating status because of the deterioration of balance sheets. Um, you take a look at earnings growth. You take a look at a, a revenue growth. Here's an interesting dynamic. Um, earnings are up over 350% since the 2009 lows. Revenue, what's happens at the top line of corporate income statements is up about 44%. The differential has been stock buybacks, it's been uh, um, artificial suppression through uh, wages and, and suppression of labor costs, et cetera. Those are artificial influences into creating a bigger profit line on the bottom line uh, on the bottom of the income index. But what what drives the economy is what happens at the top line. That's where you and I are spending our money. So these cycles do end. I mean, every every economic cycle ends, every market cycle ends, and they generally end together because they are part and parcel of each other. The market is not driven or is not a, a function of the economy. The market is a representation of what's happening within the economy. And so these two things cycle together. So what investors need to take away from this is that we're a decade into this current cycle. This cycle is going to end, whether, whether or not it's next month or next week or next year, this cycle will end. It's only a function of time. 
And we have early indications that we are getting closer to the end of that cycle. Now, this doesn't mean go go hide out in gold and, and buy bullets and beanie weenies and go hide in a bunker. <laughs> it, what it means, and only people, there's a few people that understand what beanie weenies are, but if you grew up in my era, <laughs> it was important. Um, you know, but the issue is, is that this, is, after a decade of gains, this is a time to harvest, right? If you think about gardening as a, as a, as a basic example, if I plant a garden and I grow my fruits and my vegetables in my garden, I walk outside, my garden's full, I've got this great bounty. If I never harvest that bounty, those will simply die on the vine. And if I don't weed and fertilize and, and take care of my garden, the, the weeds will eventually take over my garden and it will disappear. Right. That's what happens to a portfolio. We've had a decade of gains. This is a time to harvest. This is a time, and it doesn't mean sell everything and, and put it in cash again. It just simply means take some money off the table. If your goal is to make 6% a year and that gets you to your retirement track on time, you've had multiples of those 6% annualized returns built into your portfolio over the last decade. Take some money off the table, put it into savings. There will be an opportunity where we have another 2000 type situation, another 2008 type situation. I'm not, and it doesn't have to be 50%, but a 20 to 40% correction of the markets is very realistic. And when you have these events, that's where you take that cash that you stored away, those seeds, and replant that garden in the future. So greed is always the one thing that leads us to our biggest investment mistakes over time. Mm -hmm. Being greedy is what hurts us. Understanding that we're supposed to buy low and sell high is the basic premise, but we don't tell anybody that, right? You know markets are elevated. You know that markets are grossly overvalued. Nobody has to tell you that. So we should be selling, but yet we're being told to buy every single day. Oh, you're missing out? You're missing out? The market's going up today. Trump Trump gave in to the trade, so <laughs> markets are up. You've got to be in. Understand that the market's trying to tell you a message. and. We've got a Federal Reserve that's reducing their balance sheet. They're extracting capital. We've got global economic weakness around the world. The island of America cannot stand on its own forever, all, uh, all amongst itself. This is a great time to take some risk off the table and wait for a better opportunity. Well, I think that that's excellent advice. And you referenced um, some very, very famous financial pundits like Jim Cramer, and there's, there's now more and more and more, and now we have this 24-7 news cycle and it's it's true of everything from sports right. to to the markets and i know that you produce an enormous amount of extremely valuable content um but i i can't imagine that you want or you think that every american should be consuming financial content every day do, do, do you have thoughts on on what the average investor should really be focused on and paying attention to when it comes to financial media well <laughs> It's the interesting thing, yeah, you know, we produce an enormous amount of content every day and our content is very not mainstream. Right? Right. Most of our stuff is really based around how, how money really works, what markets are really telling you. And of course, because we're not on the rah-rah the bandwagon right now saying, oh, just buy the market, it's going up, you're missing out, uh, we're considered bearish. Um, but we're not, we're invested, our portfolios are invested in the markets. We did harvest some, some gains earlier this year. Um, during this decline in October, November, we missed a big chunk of that, which is fine. And and we're actually bought some stuff back in on Friday because after Powell's kind of stance here recently that he's maybe backing off on Fed rate hikes um, and also Trump's announcement over the weekend, that gives the market some short term, near term, maybe a few days or a couple of weeks, catalyst for the markets. But the broader issues, 
are weighing on the markets more and more every every day. And we haven't solved the issues. And the big message from Jerome Powell over the last week was the economy's getting weaker. The reason now that we're closer to neutral rate than we were just in October is because the market's showing significant signs of weakness. That's not good for stocks. So what should you be listening to consuming and how much should you be doing it? I don't watch CNBC during the day. Um, mostly what I do every day to, to manage portfolios, I do organic work. I look at what the price of the market is doing. I look at what the economic data is telling me. I make my own analysis and opinions based on what the data is saying. That's what we should focus on. How often should you do it? Daily is too soon. You should not be looking at your portfolio every day. I would not recommend looking at the markets every day. One day up or one day down is not going to tell you much about what's happening to your portfolio. If you're truly investing for the long term, think about taking a chart, uh, an S&P index, whatever it is. Look at it on a weekly basis and a, and a monthly basis. Slow the rate of movement down. This is the way we manage our money internally at our, at our, at our, at our, at our shop which is we use weekly and monthly data. So what happens on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday does not matter at all to me. The markets are up today, really doesn't matter. What I wanna know is where the market closes on Friday. In this particular case, are we gonna be above important moving averages on Friday? We'll see. If we are, great, we can add some money to the markets. We're back in a short-term bullish trend. If we're not, well, the reduced exposure we've had to the markets will continue to pay off. So slow down the amount of information and what that does is is it reduces your emotional bias to do something hmm. the, what what cnbc wants you to do every day is to do something you're missing out you've got to buy <laughs> something you've got to be in why 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 is that think about this what funds cnbc what keeps cnbc on the air is it you buying and selling stuff absolutely the reason is, is that the advertisers are, the, are, are Wall Street, right? Mutual funds, indexes, ETFs, buy my product. By telling you that you've got to be in, money in motion creates revenues for Wall Street. So you certainly help Wall Street by being more active. But seeing that every day induces you to make emotionally based mistakes, feed into fear, feed into greed, slow it down, consume on a, on a much slower rate of basis, and you'll make a lot better decisions longer term. I think that that's good good advice. Well, Lance, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? <laughs> um, my dad used to always say that the best the best moves in life are when you sit down and shut up and listen. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and listen to what the market's telling you. This is the thing. The best piece of advice is, is always this. Have cash. If you have cash, it gives you opportunity to do something. If you're fully invested and you're just riding the markets up and down, the problem is, is when you have opportunity, those opportunities occur after a sell-off. But if you've ridden the market down because you didn't take any profits earlier, you didn't sell high, you can't buy low. So always have some cash available for profits, uh, for, for opportunity, sorry. Um, the other thing is, is take profits on a regular basis. Again, going back to our gardening analogy, when you buy a position and it moves up a lot, take a little money off the table. Yes, you can you can still be in the position, it can still grow, but if you harvest on a regular basis when the position stops going up or you wind up in something old like a General Electric, you've already harvested some of that gain. So you don't give back everything you made. The worst thing you can do is turn a winner into a loser and then sell it. That is great stuff. That definitely gets a come on. Come on. <laughs> and Lance, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they find your shows? 
Um, absolutely. All on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, um, while you're there, you can get our podcast. You can get our daily blogs that we put out. We have a weekly newsletter that's free to subscribers. Uh, simply put your email address in. So really, everything we're there that we do there is to try to help people make better long-term investing decisions. It's realinvestmentadvice.com. Yeah, and I can definitely vouch for the quality of the content that they produce and there's definitely something for everybody however you like to consume information so well savage nation if you enjoyed this as much as i did show lance your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas and check out the website and the podcast and subscribe to the newsletters so thank you again lance thank you appreciate it and until next time keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!